I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. For there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so say I now again. If any one preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the bond slave of Christ. I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it. But I received it by the revelation of Jesus Christ, the risen Son of God. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a man who was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goat. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But arise, stand up on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me, and to those things in which I will appear to you delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Acts chapter 22, verses 14 through 18. Well, Dr. Mitchell continues our study in Galatians chapter 1 where Paul vindicates his apostleship. Well, here is Dr. Mitchell. Thank you. Good day, friends. Again, it is my great joy and delight to come to you, and I trust that as we discuss the things of the Lord these days on this program, we may bring to you a clearer picture of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've come now to the study of the book of Galatians, a book which the Apostle Paul wrote uh, with great exercise of heart because these Christians in Galatia had not only received the Lord and had rejoiced in him, but now they had been turned from the sufficiency of Christ and were entering into a life of legalism, which robbed them of their joy and their usefulness, and instead of living for God, they were living for themselves. This is ever true. 
when we turn our back on the sufficiency of Christ, then we turn to self and we begin to promote self-righteousness instead of divine righteousness. Now, I'd like to read again from the first chapter of Galatians. We were discussing this in our last lesson in the first few verses, but I'd like to read again from verse 6 down through verse 10. When the apostle says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so say I now again. If anyone preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the bond slave, the servant of Christ. Now you remember at the beginning of the passage, in verse 4, this risen Christ to whom who had called Paul into the ministry of the gospel had given himself for our sins that he might deliver us from the present evil world for the purpose of bringing glory and honor to God. And remember that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the only one who can deliver you from your sin and can deliver you from this present evil age or from the world in which we live. He has done a perfect work. And the Apostle Paul went down to, this, to these Galatians, and he so preached the gospel, as chapter 3 says, that Christ Jesus was evidently set forth crucified among them. And they were so rejoicing in the fact that their sins had been put away, that they'd been delivered from the guilt and penalty of sin, and that they were freed from this present evil world, and so forth and so on, that they rejoiced in the Lord. And then something happened. These Judaizers came from Jerusalem, claiming to come from the first church at Jerusalem, and said, unless they kept the law of Moses and were circumcised, then all that they did and all they believed was no good to them. It was not that they didn't believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, or that he died for their sin but that they perverted the message. They added to what Christ had done. By the way, now, this is what Paul is taking up in the book of Galatians. All the way through, I'm going to insist upon this very fact that Jesus Christ did a perfect, all-sufficient work at the cross. The difference between uh, men today, even among preachers, oftentimes, is what did they see or what do you see at the cross? What did Christ really accomplish? Did Christ do a perfect work? Can you add to it? Or is the salvation which he purchased for us a perfect, complete, eternal salvation? Now, this is, this is what uh, Paul is talking about. And these Galatians have been turned, moved away from the gospel. Now, notice what he says in verse 6. I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. They're removed from a person. This is the tragedy of it, that people will turn 
from the glorious Son of God and depend upon some other works, some religious rites which they perform, or some days which they keep, instead of turning to the Savior, the person of our Savior. Now, Paul uses very strong language here. Now, I know I mentioned this the other day, and I'm repeating it, and I'm doing that deliberately, because I want you to see, as in verse 7, there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. And though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As I said before, so I say now again, if anyone preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. This is terrific language for the apostle to use to Christians. Calling down the curse of God upon anybody who preaches unto you any other message in the gospel of the grace of God. Any other message that would deny the, the absolute sufficiency of the work of Christ. Indeed, I'm going to be bold with Paul and say that the curse of God is upon those who preach any other message to sinful man except the gospel of the grace of God. This is the only message that will deliver men from sin. This is the only message that will deliver them from an eternal death. This is the only message that will deliver them from a coming judgment and from this present evil world and will set them free from the powers of hell. I'm, I'm very strong on this. I mean, I'm, shall I say, I'm frank about this and I'm concerned about it because the average Christian doesn't know very, very much about the real gospel of Christ. After speaking to a group one day, uh, one of the hearers said to me, Mr. Mitchell, you must believe in an eternal salvation. And I said to this dear party, I said, well, you know, God only has one salvation to give. And that's an eternal one. It's the only kind of salvation he deals with. A perfect, complete, absolute, eternal salvation. He has no other to give, man. It's not Christ plus you, my friend. Christ is a perfect Savior. And if anything you do to add to the work of Christ, then you pervert the gospel. People say, yes, I believe I'm saved. I'm saved by accepting the Savior. But, and when you say that, but, then you spoil the whole thing. But I've got to do this, or I've got to do that, or I've got to go through this, or I've got to go through that. You ruin, you pervert the gospel. And I might say anyone who preaches such a thing comes under the curse of God. This is strong language. Paul says, though we are an angel from heaven, preach unto you any other message, any other gospel, and we have declared, let him be accursed. Now then, the 10th verse. And mark the passion of this man, Paul. Do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, if I preach, if I minister to please men, I am no longer the servant of Jesus Christ. I'm no longer the bond slave of Christ. My, I tell you, this man had a tremendous passion for the Savior. Allow me to read again or quote to you from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, when he said, Whether by life or by death, Christ be magnified in my body. Whether I live or whether I die makes absolutely no difference as long as Christ is magnified in my body. For to me to live, Christ, to die, 
is to be with Christ. Or take Philippians chapter 3, from verses 7 to 10, when he said, All these things that were gained to me, well-born, well-educated, etc., zealous for God, all these things that were gained to me, I count them lost for Christ. Yea, I doubt I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but refuse that I might win Christ, and be found in him having his righteousness. Ah, listen, friend, what is the passion of your life, or who is the passion of your life? This man, Paul, refused to serve men. He was not a man-pleaser. He was willing to be a bond slave of Jesus Christ. As you have in Romans chapter 1, the first verse, Paul, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. He rejoiced in the fact of the honor and the privilege of serving the Lord, of being sold out to Christ. Christ indeed for him was absolutely preeminent. What place does Christ have in your heart and my heart? I tell you, this man had a real passion for the Son of God. And what a need there is today among God's people that we might have a passion for Christ and then a compassion for lost men and women. Compassion upon even God's people. But the primary thing is, what place does Christ Jesus have in your affections, in your will, in your life? Paul says, I'm a bond slave. And if I seek to please men, if I'm a man pleaser or a rabble rouser, I am no longer, no longer the servant, the bond slave of Jesus Christ. You know, we hear a lot about spiritual life and Keswick conferences and everything. That's all right. I'm all for them. But oh, I wonder sometime what place the Lord Jesus really has in our lives, in our thinking, in our affection, in our devotion. Listen to it again. Do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? If I yet pleased men, I should no longer be the bond slave of Jesus Christ. And may I remind you that a bond slave has neither will, nor possessions, nor time of his own. He's sold out to his master. Is that the place Jesus Christ has in your heart, in your life? And I'm talking to you Christians especially on this. God deliver us from pampering the flesh and boosting some man instead of glorifying the Savior. This is what I want to be. I want to be jealous for the Lord. I don't want to be removed from him who brought us into the wonderful place as the children of God. May I, may I plead with your heart today? May I ask you the question, and you ask yourself the question, what place does Jesus Christ really have in my heart? If I'm talking to preachers or teachers or Sunday school workers or Christian workers, do you seek to please men, or do you seek to please your Savior and Lord? Now, in chapter 1, verse 11, through chapter 2, verse 10, he defends his apostleship. And then from verse 11 of chapter 2 through 21, he defends his message. Now, just one or two things about this question of Paul defending his apostleship. You will notice in verses 11 and 12 of the first chapter, 
he declares that the, the message which he had and which he proclaimed uh, came from God by revelation. I read this in verses 11 and 12. I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it. But I received it by the revelation of Jesus Christ, the risen Son of God. Remember this, will you? Paul did not walk with Jesus as he walked among men as a man in the midst of men. The apostle Paul met the risen, glorified Savior on the road to Damascus. It was a risen Christ, glorified Christ, who had called him into the gospel ministry. And the message which he preached and proclaimed, he received from the risen Christ, and he received it by revelation. Now, you'll notice in verse 11 and 12, the message he preached was not after man. That is, he, wasn't, he didn't receive it from man. It wasn't man's gospel. It wasn't man's message. Or if I may put it another way, God has good news to give to sinful man. God has good news to give to sinful man. And the Apostle Paul and those of us who love the Savior and are ministering the Word of God, we are the vehicles to bring that message to the human family. We've got no right to tamper with it, to change it, to add to it, or take from it. Our responsibility is to give the revealed gospel of Jesus Christ to men as it is given to us in the Word of God. For Paul says in verse 12, I, re I neither received it of man, nor was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, it's a wonderful thing. If I might go a little further and go down to verse 15, 15, 16. I read these words, When it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his Son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. It pleased God, says Paul, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his Son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Or as in verse 12 says, I, I, I didn't receive it from man, nor was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to say a few words about this. And I'm repeating this. This message that I'm talking about is the message of the grace of God. The message which Paul uh, gave to us very systematically in the book of Romans. It came from God. He didn't even get it from the apostles. The message he had was of divine origin. If you were to read, for example, Acts 26, uh, 16, on down through, oh, verse uh, 18, 19, 20 in there, you'll notice the apostle Paul said that after he was saved, that the Lord gave him a challenge, gave him an assignment, that he was to be a minister and a witness of the things which God had taught him. And then he turned around and said, What for? To open blind eyes, to turn men from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive the forgiveness of sins 
and they might be sanctified by faith that is in Christ Jesus. And then he said to King Agrippa, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Just like you have in Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, when Peter, you remember, had said to Jesus, when the Lord said, What are men saying about me, and what do you think I am? Who do you think I am? And Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, Peter, nobody give you this. You didn't receive this from man. Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father who is in heaven. Or you take Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 to 27. When our Lord said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, and you've revealed them unto babes, even so, Father, it seemed good in thy sight. And so Paul could, hear, could say here, I received it by revelation from God. And then you notice in verse 15, it pleased God to separate me, and it pleased God to call me, and it pleased God to reveal his Son in me. I tell you, I'm not surprised. In Acts chapter 9, when Paul came to know the Savior, that he immediately preached in Damascus that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Here is a man who was divinely equipped, divinely sent by a sovereign God to do a particular work in the world. It pleased God. He separated me from my mother's womb. Do you remember Romans chapter 1? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised before by his poverty in the Holy Scriptures. He was separated unto God, and he was separated unto the gospel of the grace of God. What for? To reveal the Son of God to men, that I might preach his Son among the Gentiles. Now, may I suggest, my friend, the gospel is not casting off your sins or turning over a new leaf, or living a better life. But the gospel is that God has provided man with a perfect, complete salvation. And this complete salvation is absolutely apart from works or ceremonies. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not patterned after human schemes, or human philosophy, or human reasoning. It's a revelation from God. Allow me again to give that those two verses from Romans chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, where Paul says that he was separated unto the gospel of God. This gospel was made known in the Old Testament Scriptures. It's in full accord with Old Testament Scriptures, and it's concerning a person, a real man who was made a man according to the seed of David. And he was declared and marked out from everybody else as the Son of God, by the resurrection from the dead. I can't help but bring this in. Paul is insisting that the message of the gospel of the grace of God came from a risen Christ. My friend, let me ask you to do something. You read the whole 28 chapters of the book of Acts, and you note, you count off how often the disciples preached and talked and mentioned the risen Christ of God. This Jesus God raised from the dead. Is it an, think you it's an incredible thing that God should raise the dead? Festus, the Roman governor, 
said, all I can find out about this man, Paul, was that he talked about a man called Jesus who Paul affirmed was raised from the dead. The greatest need today is the gospel of the grace of God, which is concerning Jesus Christ, God incarnate, who was crucified by men for our sins and was raised again from the dead and ascended to God's right hand. And through that resurrection and exaltation, God is declaring to men everywhere that this Jesus of Nazareth is his son and that the work which he accomplished on the cross perfectly, absolutely satisfied divine justice. This being so, then the gospel, the gospel of God is a perfect gospel. It's a complete message. It's an eternal salvation. And I declare to you again, this is the only kind of salvation which God deals in. Perfect, complete, eternal salvation. Now, this is the message which God gave the Apostle Paul. And this is what he's talking about. This is why it pleased God to separate him and to call him and to reveal his son in him. What for? That he might preach him among the Gentiles, a person as well as a work. And I would plead with your heart today, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you are, to be occupied with Jesus Christ, the wonderful Son of God, who's a real Savior and a perfect Lord. And the Lord bless you today for His name's sake. The Unchanging Word is an independent Bible study, and our conviction is that the Word of God has never changed and never will. We trust that your hearts have been blessed and encouraged through the study of God's Word. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Life begins at Calvary.